This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on News Talk 770. Again, our telephone number 974-8255. You can text us 770-770. I will hear from Dr. Chris Wells in the University of Alberta coming up after 1.30. We'll talk about some of his research on new school board policies. Uh, to meet the guidelines laid out by the education minister for how schools will uh, accommodate and deal with LGBTQ students. We'll talk about that after 1.30. Later on today, Dr. Seth Shostak, chief uh, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute. We're going to talk about a story that's making a lot of headlines today, whether in fact Russian scientists detected some kind of alien signal. Uh, I think there's sufficient reason to be skeptical but enough reason, uh, I think, to, to probe a little bit more on this. We'll find out more after 2 o'clock. Uh, as you know, there's uh, a great debate underway in Canada about the case for or the case against electoral reform. The Liberals pledged that if they were victorious uh, in last year's election, it would be the last election under first-past-the-post. Although they didn't articulate which system they would like to move toward. And there are plenty of ideas for how we could change the way we vote. There's also been a lot of debate, frankly, on how we go about doing this and and whether the question should ultimately be put to Canadians. Once we've narrowed down some potential options, do Canadians support the status quo or would they prefer to uh, move to one of these other systems? Now, previous votes in uh, B.C. and Ontario uh, have left those provinces with the status quo. But how do Canadians feel about it? How should Canadians feel about a new uh, report out today from the Fraser Institute uh, called First Past the Post Empowers Voters and Accountable Government uh, makes the case that uh, we already have the ideal system. First Past the Post is simple. Voters and candidates understand how it works. And since governments can be easily defeated under our system, it helps ensure accountability. That's the case this report is making. But of course, there are many voices uh, that argue that the, the system is deeply flawed and that we need reform. Joining us uh, on the line to talk about all of this, one of the authors of the Fraser Institute report, uh, Lydia Milgen, a senior associate or senior fellow, rather, of the Fraser Institute, associate professor of political science, University of Windsor. Lydia, welcome to the program. Thank you. And uh, also joining us uh, here today, Kelly Carmichael, who is executive director of the group Fair Vote Canada. Kelly, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. All right. Well, Lydia, let, let's start with you and uh, the, the report that you've put out today. Why uh, first pass the post? Why the system we have now is the ideal one, as you say? Well, you know, John Papel makes a pretty pretty compelling argument. And he starts off with saying, let's just hold off on electoral reform until we actually assess what's the value of first past the post. So what we wanted to do in this this paper, uh, and it's, it's one of a, a series of papers that we, we have um, we're putting out on electoral reform is just to see what does first past the post do and how does it compare with all other electoral systems. And so what John does is he goes through sort of some of the theories about voting, why we make decisions, what you know, what's the point of election. And and his his argument essentially is when you're making when you're voting, you're making a choice. You're saying I prefer party A over party B and somebody else might prefer something else. Uh, but at the end of the day, everyone's had their one vote and they've stated their preference. And he rejects the notion that, that, you know, some like your other speaker are probably going to talk about of this notion of, of a wasted vote. Just because your candidate didn't win, that doesn't mean you wasted your vote. It just means you didn't win. Um, and so this, this idea that, you know, we, we have to have more choice and we have to have more people elected sort of 
defeats the purpose of why we have elections in the first place, which is to make a decision and to, shoot, and to provide a preference. Mm-hmm. Whether we have a plurality or majority isn't really the issue. The issue is, did you get your vote? Um, and, you know, whether or not your, your candidate won, it should be a secondary question. Okay. And, and Lydia, let me get a quick answer from you, and I want to get a quick answer from Kelly, too. But regardless of where one comes down on this question, Lydia, do you think this should be put to a referendum? My preference is that it should be, um, in part because we're asking people based on – so if the logic is there, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get my head around the logic. So the government says we have a mandate from the, from the, from the people to change the electoral system given that we got less than 50 percent of the vote and we're going to impose a complete overhaul to our way of doing government without consulting the public. So I think on face value, um, if, if, they, if they don't think that they had a legitimate result or they don't have a legitimate uh, mandate from the people for electoral reform, then that by all means they should put it to a vote. All right. And, and Kelly, I'll give you chance to, to make the case against the status quo, but just, just first that, that point, do you think we should put this question to a referendum? Um, well, Fair Vote Canada used to believe very strongly in referendums until we had a few, and then we started to realize that it was not the best way to measure a complicated issue. And I think, um, you know, as Lydia points out, that a lot of people perhaps don't even know about first past the post, so we should probably examine that first. So how are we going to ask people, you know, what is your preference before we have um, a lot of education? And it's also the difference between living in a representative democracy or or having direct democracy. Right now the government is consulting across the country. There are hundreds of town halls that citizens can go to, they can participate on the electoral reform committee that's going on. There's a meeting going on right now. People can watch it live on CPAC. You can put in your how you feel directly into the government. And there, there are a whole host of ways that people can participate now. So we are not saying yes or no on a referendum. We want to see what this process looks like okay. first. All right. Well, um, we, we heard Lydia's case uh, for why first past the post is uh, is the right system as she sees it. So what's your response to that? Sure. So, you know, we live in a representative democracy. Canadians go to the polls and they vote, as Lydia says, in first past the post for their favorite candidate. But that's not necessarily what happens. In the last election, uh, through a a study that was done by the Broadband Institute, we've learned that 46% of Canadians actually voted against something rather than voting with their heart. In every election under first-past-the-post, and you should probably understand that there's two families of voting systems, majoritarian systems or proportional systems. In majoritarian systems, in every election, over half of the electorate cast ineffective ballots and that is what Lydia called a wasted vote. We, do, we call it an ineffective ballot, where they were unable to elect a representative aligned with their values. And we think that's unfair. We think then the policies that come in are not representative of the electorate. And the other issue is, so in 2015, that translated to over 9 million ineffective ballots that were cast. 9 million Canadians were unable to elect a representative aligned with their values. In a population of 35 million Canadians, that is not good enough. And when you look at that 9 million number 
um, the flip side of that coin, we often say, you know, governments get false majorities with 39% of the vote, which is the the rule. Um, since World War One, we've had 17 majority governments. Only four of those have been elected with over 50% of the vote. But when we look at that number of 39% of the vote elected the government with 100% of the power, the truth is half of those voters cast ineffective votes. So you have a party right now, and this is what happened uh, before the election as well, you have a party right now that's sitting in government with 100% of the power, and the MPs that hold that power were voted in with less than 25% of the vote. We think we can do a lot better. We want a proportional system in this country where most of the electorate has a representative aligned with their values. Okay. Uh, Lydia, the the point has been made often, and Kelly made it, that we often in this country have majority governments that uh, receive less than 50% of the vote. Is is that an argument against the status quo as you see it? No, I don't think it does. And I think it goes down to just, you know, the definition of representative. You know, when when, when Kelly talks about representative, I think she's saying that that my candidate in my writing has to represent my interests, my, my, not my interests, but my values. And I, that isn't the notion of our representative government. Our representative government means that the candidate voted in each writing represents the interests of the entire constituency, regardless of whether or not um, that the, the, those individual constituents voted for that candidate. So this notion of representativeness means that somehow uh, the House of Commons has to look like the rest to Canada, that it has to have the same ethnic makeup, that it has to have the same gender balance. And I don't think that's a fair representation of representativeness. And this idea that, you know, just because in my riding, if I didn't vote for, let's say I voted for, well, actually, in my riding, um, I, I didn't vote for my candidate. It was an NDP, uh, but the NDP won. Um, does that mean that my vote for the Liberals didn't 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 factor in. No, I'm going to be representative my ideological way by my vote for the Liberals versus um, in my riding by that NDP voter. But that NDP candidate is still representing my interests. So this idea that just because we didn't vote for that particular candidate in their riding means that they we have no representation of our ideals in the House of Commons is a plain falsehood because, as you can see, we have a multi-party system and we do have five different political parties having some uh, form of, of discussion and, and debate in the House of Commons. Certainly the, 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 the government is a majority government and they, they do have more power than the other parties, but that doesn't mean that they never listen to opposition parties and that opposition doesn't have a role. There are, our system of Westminster democracy means very much that the loyal opposition is there also to, there to represent our interests and values. So, you know, we're, we're conflating a lot of different things when we talk about electoral reform, and I think what we forget about is the notion of the party, right? The parties are there to form government, and one party has to form government under a first-past-the-post system, assuming you have a majority. Um, and so there is room for some coalitions. The problem with these reforms is that they tend to form um, a lot of minority governments and a lot of coalition governments, and you end up having a very expensive governments. We have another study that we put out a few months ago that showed that when you have um, coalition governments, you're much more likely to run into debt and deficit issues, and so your fiscal health of your country um, actually becomes diminished under a different party system. So it's not just about uh, voting. It's also about how the government is run and whether or not you have a propensity to have 
have um, coalition governments versus majority governments. Right. Well, I mean, to that point, Kelly, about how governments are formed then, just because you, you vote for one party and maybe you're, you're then ensuring some represent, representation of that party in, in, in Ottawa, when parties make deals and coalition governments are put together, that's not necessarily representative of what people voted for. Well, I, I, first of all, I balk at the idea that this is, that governments under first past the post are more stable with policy, and I'll explain that in a minute. I didn't say stable. I said more fiscally responsible. Great, fiscally responsible. So I can speak to that. Uh, we talk about something called policy lurch at Fair Vote Canada, and when a small percentage of the electorate can totally swing the government, you get policy lurch. So I think most Canadians uh, will remember um, the last government that we had that was elected in in 2011 that ended up working much similar to a one-person rule. And as much as it's great that the official opposition can debate in the House of Commons, they have absolutely no power. And what happens is a government will come in and ideologically change everything that in a, in a way that suits their own ideology. For instance, the Harper government cut uh, the Aboriginal Affairs and Northern Development, the Environment Portfolio, Fisheries and Oceans, Parks Canada, the CBC, Citizens and Immigration, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, and it goes on and on, and a lot of women's groups. Now you have the Liberal governments come back in. They've restored the long-form census. They've pledged to reverse the cuts to the CBC. They've overturned the closing of the veterans' offices. They've overturned two pieces of legislation it considered punitive to labor, restored funding to First Nations. They're restoring funding to women's groups. It's completely ineffective, and it's a waste of, of Canadians' money and time to have these policy lurches between two big tent governments that don't listen to the people. Okay, but that, I think that's that's the fundamental difference of opinion here. Because the point about having a first past the post election is that is that you can change the government. You 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 have one. You think that this you know one government um, is elected on the ballot of change. That's what people tend to vote for. They we t we like to throw the previous government out and we like to try something you new. You can do that when under that proportional representation no, as because, well. But you're just saying that you don't get that. You don't get that kind of policy change. And what I think you that get is important. continuity. You get, but we don't you want get continuity. parties we... working together rather than just talking at each other and not being able to affect change. You get parties that work together. But you just when said there's the, the, the tremendous change. Can I just finish, please? When you look at Pearson, the Canadian Health uh, Act, you know, CPP, QPP, all of these great policies that Canadians enjoy, they were done between parties working together in and minority governments. Uh, under majority government, so that doesn't make any sense. Bad policies get changed all the time. Good policies can also get changed. You're, you're saying that our democracy system is a bad is that policy? We have a difference of opinion and that sometimes some people win and sometimes uh, other people win. But that is the nature <laughs> of a democracy, that you can have 
choice in policies, that we're not going to just have the same government forever. That sounds like a totalitarian regime where you don't get to change policies and you don't get to change the people you're, in power. You're misrepresenting what right, I'm stand saying. By. I'm going to get both sorry. of you to stand by. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and continue this conversation. Uh, our guest on the line, Lydia Miljan, a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute, associate professor of political science, University of Windsor, uh, FraserInstitute.org, and also Kelly Carmichael, executive director of Fair Vote Canada, fairvote.ca. We're back with more right after this. Welcome back. Uh, Debating Canada's electoral system first past the post and whether that's the ideal system to elect governments. The Liberals have committed to change, although we don't know what change exactly or how we're going to get there. We're speaking uh, with Lydia Milgen, a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute. They put out a new report today. And also uh, on the line with us, Kelly Carmichael, executive director of Fair Vote Canada. Uh, Kelly, let me put this question to you. I mean, uh, right now our our system is set up so that uh, each riding elects a representative and the representative goes to Ottawa and we, we know how it works from there. The argument against proportional representation is that it, it takes away from that. For example, an independent candidate uh, would not su- be able to succeed under such a system. How, how do we address that? Well, that's not correct. Independent candidates certainly can uh, win under proportional representation. If you look at Ireland, they have a single transferable vote. They have quite a few independent candidates. So um, okay, that's so that's a different policy, system. Yeah. That's not pure proportional representation. No, and, and I would suspect that pure proportional representation isn't even on the table here in Canada. Well, but should it be, though? Um, well, one thing, there's been a lot of studies. There's been 13 commissions and studies now in this country looking at this issue, and every single one of them recommended proportional representation. Um, and people were... Sorry, I'm I'm getting just lost. Can you repeat your question again? Well, just whether that should be on the table, pure proportional representation. And and does it take away from being able to elect a a representative for your constituency? Right. Um, When they they asked citizens what they wanted, um, people said that they wanted proportional representation. The studies looked at primarily recommended mixed-member systems. We have to maintain a system that's going to be constitutional. If you look at a system like uh, Israel, which isn't even on the table, they have closed list systems. And through all of these commissions and studies, citizens said that they wanted to elect their representatives directly and have local representation. And that's possible with some systems, like a mixed member system or the single transferable vote. Um, But in a closed uh, electoral system where parties put the candidates on a list and you don't get to vote for them directly won't be supported by Canadians. It hasn't been in the past, and it's um, a countrywide list. Okay. Is not constitutional. All right. Well, well and, and to be it, fair, none of these systems have been supported by Canadians. I mean, right. We've seen two votes. Representative. So far. Those were assemblies that that made those those recommendations, not the public at all. I mean, well, that goes back to the referendum question. Okay. Well, Lydia, the, the point was made though about other systems, and in this this paper today looks at at other systems. How do we measure these systems, right? Because there are different systems that exist. How do we draw a connection between uh, the way people elect a government and how a country is governed? Right. Well, it you know it depends on what you want. The government, when in their in their literature, they actually have five principles um, that they think that are important. Those sort of values that they think that Canadians should be looking at when they when they talk about these things. We actually take issue with these five principles because nowhere in any of these principles is the value of changing government. And I think that's that's a, that's a pretty 
big um, omission for the government to have, that that's not one of their values that, that we elect different governments in different electoral times. And, and so I sort of go back to the, my, my, my point before is that, you know, one of the values that we should be looking at is whether or not we can change policy, whether or not we have different opinions. And we do, you know, in our current system, we have different political parties that, that present different policy options for similar problems or sometimes different problems. When you, when you start having um, choices that really end up not being choices where you don't have differences of opinion, um, then you're going to lose the ability to have some real policy changes. And, and, you know, I might not like every change that goes on, and neither might you, but the point is, under our existing system, we get the option to change governments and, and, and try different ideas, and, and hopefully uh, we'll maintain our very robust democracy, and I might add a very successful democracy. Canada, we have to remember, we should embrace this, is a very successful democracy in that we've never had a revolution. Um, we don't go to the streets protesting, you know, with, with violence, and we have a um, very uh, clean and effective way okay. of changing government. All right. FraserInstitute.org, fairvote.ca. Thank you both for joining Good afternoon, I'm Darcy Curl. The National Energy Board is suspending future hearings into the Energy East Pipeline project. The federal regulatory body says the safety of participants can't be guaranteed after protesters forced the cancellations of sessions scheduled in Montreal for yesterday and today. I'll have more details on this story coming up at the bottom of the hour. Again, the National Energy Board suspending future hearings into the Energy East Pipeline project. I'm Darcy Curl. All right. Thanks for that, Darcy. All right. Interesting. A very interesting announcement there. We just talked about that in the previous half hour. So I'm not sure what that's going to mean going forward. Don't know what it means uh, for the project itself. But uh, we'll have more coming up at 1.30 and through the afternoon uh, from the News Talk 770 News Center. Our thanks uh, again to Kelly Carmichael, Executive Director of FairVoteCanada.ca. And uh, Lydia Milgen is a Senior Fellow with the Fraser Institute, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Windsor. And again, you can uh, read the paper they put out today at FraserInstitute.org. So, um, look, you can go to both websites and both uh, will make a, a very strong case for a different approach. I, I think a lot of Canadians are open to the idea of changing our electoral system, but uh, I don't know that Canadians are convinced that the system we have right now is broken. Let's go to the phones uh, sometime for your calls here. Tony's uh, on the line. Tony, go ahead. Hi, uh, Rob. Thanks for taking my call. You know what, with, when it comes right down to it, I think both these ladies are the actual fallacy that they're actually living in a democracy. Um, I'm sorry, when it comes right down to it, uh, it's money that buys political power. It always has, always will. Um, I, you know, I, I get the fact that we're talking about electoral reform, but when it comes right down to it, I thought it quite interesting. But how does, um, that okay. The announcement of, uh, of protesting, uh, protesters... Uh, um, or shutting down the, the, these hearings came during this discussion. And one lady just sat there and said, well, we, do, we don't go protest. As Canadians, we don't. Well, clearly we do. Um, we protest our, gov- our government's decisions to do all kinds of things. But getting back to the point, you know what? I, it, it's money that buys political power. and how always so? has and always well, how? Give me an example. You know what? Um, I, I, if I work for, for somebody who... Uh, has a net worth of $25 million, and he has the most rotten idea in the world. And I'll just use Justin Trudeau as an example. Most rotten idea in the world, as far as I was concerned. But if he has enough money, he can buy enough influence. And it doesn't matter if it's the little guy on the street 
or the additional friend that has just as much money as he has. That amount of economic power, that amount but, of But you're aware, look, and i got to break, you're aware that we have... We've banned corporate donations in this country. We've banned union donations. To, there, there are limits on how much money people can give to political parties. You know what? It doesn't make a difference. Behind the scenes, it happens, Rob. You know what? I know it. Um, I, I can't prove it. Never will be okay. able to. Well, but you know right. what? That's, that's, that's my cynical it's all uh, the proof I need. Okay, Tony, Thank appreciate you. the phone call. Uh, all right, we got to take a, a break here. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.